This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. That, that song just gets to me all the time. Because <laughs> God continues to be faithful even when I'm not. Even when I am sometimes oblivious to it, He is faithful. My very existence here today is exhibit A of God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Happy Sabbath, everybody. So good to see you in church, neighbor. Those who are members of this local congregation and those of Household of Faith, and those who are guests, perhaps you're in town for the holidays, Perhaps, as the AAA folks told me, that you're part of the 55 million folks who traveled over the mountain and through the woods to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving as we celebrate the goodness of God. And I know that this, the Thanksgiving is fraught with some controversy, right? but it's still the most celebrated holiday. I think it's the only time of year that my favorite place is closed, Walmart, Thanksgiving. <laughs> we thank God that we we're able to share with friends and family, some of us this past Thursday, and I'm sure the only person who was not excited about Thanksgiving was that turkey on your table. <laughs> His name was Jeffrey Holt, and he was known as the caretaker of a mobile home park in the town of Hinsdale, New Hampshire. He was described by neighbors as unassuming and a simple man who was also curious about life. Some of the residents of his small town of 4,200 would see Holt around town in bare clothes, riding his lawnmower, heading to the convenience store, or parked along Main Street, reading a newspaper or watching cars as they pass by. He did odd jobs for others, but rarely left town. And despite having taught driver's ed to high schoolers, Holt had given up driving a car. As a matter of fact, he opted for a bicycle, and then finally his lawnmower. His mobile home in the park was mostly empty of furniture, no TV, no computer, and the legs of his bed went through the floors. But Holt died earlier this year with a secret. He was a multimillionaire. 
And what's more, he gave it all to his community. Wish he was a member of a plantation church. <laughs> his will had these brief instructions, 3.8 million to the town of Hinsdale to benefit the community in the areas of education, health, recreation, and culture. I don't think anyone had any idea that he was that successful, said Steve, the chairperson of the town select board who occasionally would wave at Holt from his car. I know he didn't have a whole lot of family, but nonetheless, to leave it all to the town, that was a tremendous gift. He seemed to have what he wanted, but he didn't want much, said Edwin Smokey Smith, one of his friends and former employer. You see, neighbor, before he died, Holt had discovered that one of life's secrets was to live a life of contentment. As we continue in worship of the study of the Word of God, we'll turn our attention to Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through the verse 14. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through the verse 14. And the New Living Translation of Scripture reads, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ, who gives me strength, even so. You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. This is the word of God, and I believe it. Our topic, the blessing of contentment. The blessing of contentment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you've been moving, you've been so resident in this service thus far. And as we continue now with the study of your word, I ask that you will remove every distraction, you will arrest every attention, you will speak through me and to me in spite of me, to our hearts and to our heads. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, neighbor, I'd like for us to briefly consider the broader context of our focus scripture before we hone in on these five verses. The church at Philippi was very supportive of Paul's ministry. And this epistle can be described as a letter from a friend to friends. Paul wrote it during his first Roman imprisonment at Rome. Some 10 years had passed since he first preached the gospel at Philippi. And some of you know that in Luke's narrative in Acts chapter 16, Paul, Luke shares rather a dream that Paul had about a man from Macedonia pleading with him to come over and help us. 
Paul, along with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, responded immediately to the call. Thus the church was established, was raised up and established in Philippi. You know, neighbor, even though the Apostle Paul was in prison, the church was still supportive of him. So much so that they had sent a brother called Epaphroditus to visit him bearing gifts and messages of encouragement. It's such a joy when you have, when you have Pastor Mike, churches like that to pastor. As we zoom in a bit here in this final chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul expresses his gratitude for both their gifts and continued support. Paul had been unwilling neighbor in the past to accept aid from others, but with them, with the church at Philippi, it was different. It was different due to the close and trusting relationship that he had de developed with them over the years. Paul valued their support, not so much based on the, the extent to which it alleviated his sufferings, but he valued his, their support based on the evidence that it provided for their love for him and their spiritual generosity. And so, in verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul writes, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. He is saying in this verse, before you sent my brother, he, I knew that you were always concerned about me, but that you had no opportunity beforehand to show it. What an awesome church this was. I don't know about you, neighbor, but wouldn't you like to be a part of a church like that? Very supportive, very caring. Well, you know, you can if you allow it to begin with you. However, I want you to note what he says in verse 11 of our text. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, for... I have what? Learned how to be what? Content with whatever I have. Note, neighbor, that Paul did not use his sorry state to solicit their sympathies. He did not beg the church to help him in his work. He just simply placed the need before them and trusted God to meet it. Our state of Florida leads the nation when it comes to fraud. And there are always folks looking out to take advantage of folks. Listen, neighbor. Be careful of folks who are always plying their predicaments for personal benefits and profit. Be careful of folks who are always plying their predicaments for personal benefit and profit. Folks who are always ready to regale you with their sorry sap stories, hoping to use your sympathies to lift money out of your wallets and pocketbooks. 
folks who seem to be always in distress. And you got some folks, not here in Plantation, who seem to have more troubles than Job. They're always in a fix. There's always something going on with them. It's always raining in their, every time you meet them, it's always raining in their life. No, don't get a twisted neighbor. The Apostle Paul understood that God often uses others in the community of faith to bless you. Don't miss that. However, he is not dependent on that. Paul knew that that is just one of the many resources that God can use. That is the community of faith because he knew that ultimately God is the source. The note he said in verse 11, for I have learned, for I have what? For I have learned how to be what? Content with whatever I have. I have learned. Let me deconstruct that a bit. I've learned. The word that he uses here is a rare word. As a matter of fact, it's only, this is the only time we find him using this word in, in Scripture. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it literally means, I have learned, it literally means, I have learned the secret to life. And it was a term that was used in the mystic or mystery religions. And it was a term that meant that one was initiated into the mysteries. Paul here used it to suggest a kind of initiation, notice, by his life experiences into being content with whatever he had. Amidst his sufferings and hardships, Paul had learned the secret of contentment. He had learned it. He learned it through the hard knocks of life. He learned it through his sufferings and his trials and his testings. He learned this secret of contentment. He did not learn it while sitting on his couch surfing the internet or playing video games. He learned it through hardships and difficulties and inconveniences. And the word that he employs for, uh, for content is another rare word. And, and, and it's the only time that it's, it is used in the New Testament. And it's a word that the Stoics of his day would often use. It means to be self-reliant. And this was a word that was used to describe the Greek philosopher Socrates, who was a Stoic. You see, the Stoic used this word to mean human self-reliance and fortitude, a calm acceptance of life's pressure. The Stoics believe that you should accept your lot and don't complain, just deal with it. But Paul used it here to refer to not self-reliance, but a reliance upon divine sufficiency. Paul says, whatever my circumstances, whatever my situation is, I will rely on divine sufficiency. I will be content. And he says in verse 12, 
Notice, I know, not that I believe, not that I'm thinking, not that I'm trying to figure it out. Paul says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. The fact is, there are some folks, they can only praise God when their bellies are full. Paul is saying that my perspective of life was never altered by poverty or prosperity. Paul was saying that his perspective of of life was never altered by his poverty or prosperity. Paul did not allow his current circumstances to color the contours of his life. Paul says, I can praise God when I'm having a nice side of freshly caught wild Alaskan salmon as well as having a tin of sardines. You see, my praise for God and thanksgiving is not based on what's on the menu. It's based on who is serving it. One of the things I've learned in life is that oftentimes a meal is not about what's on the plate. It's about who you're eating with. Because you can go to a restaurant with a jerk that serves the best meal and you leave that restaurant being upset. And you can go to a restaurant like Mickey D's with somebody who's nice. I'm not recommending it, by the way. (laughs) And you leave there believing you went to a gourmet place. Because it's not so much what's on the menu, it's who you're with. Amen? Paul says, I'm not going to allow my, my, my perspective of life be, be altered by whether I'm poor or rich. I have learned how to navigate life when I've got a lot of money in my pocket and even when my pocket is empty. There's some folks, they can be humble when they're, po- when they're poor. But allow them to get a little money. This is a different person. But may I submit that money or lack thereof doesn't change who a person is. You see, when, 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 when some poor people get rich, all the getting rich has seek to do is to bring out who they actually were. He was in bonds and and imprisonment, and he was often in necessity. But Paul had learned to be content, that is, to bring his mind to a condition that would make the best of his situation. There's some folks, they're so peculiar. Oh, I, I, I can't work like this. It's too cold, it's too hot. The bench is too hard, it's too soft, it's not in the right direction. No, I'm sorry, I can't think like this. I've got to have the right environment. There's some folks, they are delicate geniuses. (laughs) Why is it buffering? The internet is slow, why is it buffering? Paul says, whether I've got high-speed internet 
Oh, got something that's dial up? I'm still praising God. <laughs> now, I gotta set it straight, don't get it twisted. Contentment is not fatalism. Contentment is not fatalism. Contentment is not me, you know, accepting my lot in life. It's not a matter of, okay, Sarah, 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 whatever will be, will. Don't act like you don't know that song. You used to waltz to it. It's not K Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. It's not, you know, whatever will be, will be. Contentment is not some indolent acquiescence which cuts at the nerve of ambition or smothers our endeavor. Listen, contentment must not be confused with mediocrity. It must not be confused with sort of settling when I can do better. The problem with some folks is what they call contentment is mediocrity. What they call contentment is a settling. Let me come and put it where you can touch it. And so if, if God has given you the smarts and the acumen uh, to make a, an A and you make a C, that is not contentment. If you could have made an A by applying yourself and, and studying a little hard, you can say, well, at least I made a C. I'm content with that. That's not contentment. That's mediocrity. Because higher than the highest human thoughts can reach is God's ideal for his children. Contentment is not settling. Sometimes we settle. We just settle. Well... He's not a bad guy. At least he's tall, dark, and handsome. But he'll beat you from here to Main Street, but you settle with him. You settle with him. Oh, I'm content. Even when your eyes being swollen, I'm content. Even when your busted lips, I'm content. That's not contentment. It's not accepting your lot in life. Not when God has given you the opportunity and the smarts to do something about it. But what is contentment? Here it is. Contentment is a detachment from the anxious concerns about the outward features of life. Contentment is understanding, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 25, not to be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Contentment is about knowing, as Jesus said, that your life does not consist in the abundance of things you have. Contentment is knowing that you're more than the sum total of your stuff. You see, contentment arises from a concentration on a focus on the really important things such as the spiritual and eternal values of life. For the believer, contentment is about focusing on the closeness of a relationship with Jesus. It was from that closeness that Paul drew his strength. You know it. He said in verse 13, he says, for I can do how many things? For I can do everything through whom? Through Christ who gives me strength. It is Jesus 
who has empowered me. I am reliant on him. And here's a line. Here's a line. And if you forget everything I say, don't miss this line. And if you post it, please, 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 please give me credit for it. (laughs) Here's the line. Paul depended on the sufficiency of God even as he accepted the support of the church. Let me say it again. Paul depended on the sufficiency of God even as he accepted the support of the church. You see, neighbor, there's a difference between dependency and support. There's a difference between dependency and support. You see, there's a difference between giving someone a helping hand and providing for their needs for the rest of their lives. Hello. And I've come to realize that oftentimes what people are looking for, what people need is not a handout, but a helping hand. That people don't need a handout, but rather they need a hand up. They need to be lifted up. There's a difference between dependency and support. I do believe that that in the body of Christ, as as we navigate life together, uh, some of us are going to meet with misfortune. The devil is going to hijack some of us. And and we're going to need a helping hand. We're going to need somebody in the body of Christ to help us to get over that rut, to move away from this phase. It may be that you, because of certain circumstances, you've fallen behind on your rent. Your mortgage is overdue. And the church steps in to be support. But there should not be an expectation that the church will pay your rent and your mortgage for the rest of your life. We've got to ensure that we, we, we help people up. I was listening to an interview from a young entrepreneur. I was really impressed by her and what, what she's been doing and how she's navigated her success. And, and she has a restaurant. Forgive my, my language in this pulpit. I'll pray and confess afterwards. But the name of her restaurant is Slutty Vegan. And it's, uh, it's a restaurant where where she provides a vegan menu that is exciting and and it introduces people to to a vegan lifestyle. And and you walk through the door and and when you walk through the door, the welcome there is interesting. (laughs) You should try when you go to Atlanta, slutty vegan. (laughs) And she has opened now five stores young black woman, and when I listened to her story, she said that one of the things I've learned in life is that as I climb the ladder of success, I must reach behind and help somebody else up to climb. Who are you helping to climb as you ascend the ladder of success? You see, neighbor, Sometimes there are folks who will give you or help you, not because they are entrusted in your situation, but because they are entrusted in controlling you or controlling the narrative. Years ago when I was 
a sophomore in college. A guy came back after some exploits. He was successful, at least that's what he said. And when I got home that summer, my mother told me that he was looking for me. He just returned from North America, and we're excited. And he said, man, uh, I was looking for you. How, was, how are things at school? I said, well, you know, it's going. And how are your bills? Oh, you know, well, I got a balance there. And then he said something that was music to my sophomore ears. He said, I'll pay off your balance. Bring the receipts. Well, I went to the school, and I got the original copy. Not a, just the original copy and brought to him. And he, he looked at it. He said, oh, I'll take care of it. Then I became a bit suspicious when weeks after he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay it off in stages. And I'm going to give you the first check. And he gave me the first check. And in those days, you know, the, the banks didn't cash a post-dated check. He gave me the check. And I, all I saw there, Jean-Paul, was my name on the figures. And so I rushed to the bank, not looking at the date that it was post-dated. <laughs> Stood in line. They told me, oh, sorry, no, sir, this is post-dated. Wow. I said, man, if you give me a post-dated check, at least you tell me. He said, well, I thought you'd read the check. And there I was, counting the days, counting the days. That morning, I showed up at the bank five minutes early before it opened, waiting in line. Then I went to the teller and gave her the check. And you know, it's, it's always interesting. You know, something is up when the teller steps aside to consult with others, and they're having the conversation about the check, and you're there... You know, it's suspicious, right? And then she came back to the window. I said, is there anything wrong? She said, no, no, sorry. I said, have him contact us. I said, no, what is, isn't my name spelled correctly? I have ID. And she said, no, 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 have him contact me. And, and then she whispered, he's got insufficient funds. I said, okay. I moved on from that. Just talking to, well, he tried his best. And so a year after Kirk, I'm in the barber shop, and the guy's cutting my hair. And he said, oh, by the way, you know, Noel, he's telling people that he's paying your school fee. I said, what? Are you kidding me? Now, now, I'd allow the fact that he gave me a check that was no good to slide. But now I, I was hearing that it was all over town that he was saying he was paying my school fee. After that haircut, I just let it fly out of my mouth. Everybody I could tell, Carlos. Because, you see, there's some folks, when they try to help you, they're not trying to help you. They're trying to manipulate and create their own narrative. See, oftentimes what is needed is not a handout, but a hand up. Oftentimes what is needed is for folks to be lifted up. But neighbor, let me close with this, because this is important. This is the thrust of our time together. You see, the consumer culture is one that seeks to create an insatiable appetite for stuff. You can never have enough. There's always a new item. There's always a new version. There's always something that's new and improved. There's always saying, buy me, get me. It will make your life better. It will make you smile better. It will make you, 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 you enjoy life so much more. 
There is an insatiable appetite. You cannot and will never be able to satisfy this appetite. And that's where for the child of God, the blessing of contentment comes in. Why, just this year, I went to change my phone. Went to the store to change my phone and as the girl was dealing with, with, with the transaction, there was a fella just a few uh, inches literally away who was overhearing the conversation. He was part of the team there at the store, and he was snickering over the fact that my phone was like seven generations back <laughs> that I was changing. And the truth is, I'd only showed up at the store because I had the phone, and it, it broke. And I thought, well, I guess it's time why? The phone was working fine. I made calls. I even called some of you on that phone. It worked. <laughs> I never thought there was any need to. And the fellow was snickering. He found it interesting. I said, listen, uh, well, they said, you know, I think you should get a new phone. You know, changing the glass. No, just get a new phone. I said, well, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to go into debt trying to get a new phone. I said, no, no, no. You've had this long enough. We'll do you a solid. We will, will, will set you up. You see, if you get caught up in trying to keep up, listen, neighbor, not even the Jones can keep up. However, and here's the gospel today, in the midst of a current culture that celebrates greed and magnifies materialism, the follower of Jesus can experience the blessing of contentment by trusting in the sufficiency of God and the loving support of fellow believers. God is more than sufficient. More than sufficient. God has promised to fulfill every need. Paul reminded Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6 and verses 6 and 7, Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We will not take anything out of this world. I ask God every day, give me a heart of contentment. I tell folks there is nothing that I need than to depend on Jesus. He fulfills my need. I don't need the latest gadget. I don't need the latest stuff. Yes, if God bless me, I can celebrate it. I can celebrate. I can appreciate having a good suit. I can appreciate having a good car. But I can also appreciate God blessing me with something that gets me from point A to point B because my final destination is not point B. My final destination is the kingdom. Amen. And so today, amidst this silly season, I've come to say, God, I'm more than satisfied with your provisions. Not going to go around begging. Not going to go around trying to hustle people. Not going to work myself to a frazzle trying to get rich. 
because God will provide. Not going to settle if God creates an opportunity. I'm going to seek it. Not going to settle if God creates an opportunity for me to improve myself. I'm going to do it. But I'm not going to do it at the expense of my relationship with him. At the expense of my relationship with my family. At the expense of my values. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that I'll take from this world to the next is a character that has been formed after the similitude of Jesus. The only thing that I'll take from this world to the next is me becoming like Jesus. How about you? Is that your desire? Stand with me as we close. Is that that your desire? Stand with me. Lord, I want you to give me that spirit of contentment. Contentment. Help me, Lord, to have an eye singled on your purpose, on your will. Let me not get caught up in this spirit of consumerism and and wanting to have stuff and and doing everything to get stuff. One of the features that I was asking about as we gathered this past Thursday for Thanksgiving, I was asking the younger generation about What's the latest? What's the hottest item out there? What it is that folks are lining up over? And they laughed and snickered at me because I was out of touch where that was concerned. But I can still remember the days a few years ago in my lifetime when folks went overnight, lined up in stores with, with chairs. And some of you here need to repent. You used to be in that line. I saw you because I was there too. (laughs) Line up in line. Wanted to have bragging rights. Hey, I got it first. I got it first. Sacrifice sleep. They told me, oh, oh, Uncle Noah, we don't do that anymore, man. Everything's online now. You can, you know. Matter of fact, you can pre-order and there is somewhere that you drive in and they bring the order out. I said, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it is now. We're not lining up overnight anymore. That's old school. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> hmm. Whatever it is, I want God to bless me with that spirit of contentment. Amen. The praise team is going to sing, and I'll come back and I'll close with prayer. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing our closing song. We believe. Oh,
because your God has promised to supply all your needs. All your needs. All your needs. Generous. Don't put yourself under burden. The fact is that some of us, we, we struggle financially, not because of bad luck, because of bad decisions. Bad decisions. Some of us, are, uh, our, our favorite channel is, channel is HS, HSN and the shopping network. Huh? For some folks, they got a, a daily subscription to Timu. Some of you don't know what that is. And we forgive your ignorance. Amen. <laughs> Timu. Timu. God is greater than Timu. Come on, say amen. And if you don't know what Timu is, ask Pastor Mike after the service. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. <laughs> He'll tell you. He doesn't know. I'm just picking on him. Kirk, you tell him what Timu is. Well, Kirk even doesn't know what Timu is. <laughs> but all seriousness, God is saying he's more than enough. He's more than enough. You're here today. Perhaps you've not yet surrendered to him. I'd like to pray for you. Just raise your hand. God bless you. He sees your hand. Those online, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And truth be told, some of us were rebuked today. Some of us, we leave here fully asking you for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you will give us wisdom. Help us as we navigate this crazy system. This crazy season. A season that can draw us into gluttony and surfeiting and drunkenness. That can draw us into overspending. Remind us that you are more than enough. Remind us of the important values of family, of relationships, of helping those who are less fortunate. Remind us of those important values. We pray for those who have not yet known the joy of full surrender. But even now, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you'll speak to that heart. We leave this place, Lord, grateful for your blessings. Our prayer, Lord, is not that you will just bless us, but our prayer is that you will make us a blessing to others this season and, yea, for the rest of our lives because you are more than enough. This is our prayer. This is our asking in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Before you leave, please pronounce a blessing on at least two persons right now. Go ahead, pronounce a blessing on at least two persons right now. Somebody to your left and to your left, to your left or your right. Just pronounce a blessing.
bless somebody, at least two persons, before you leave. Before you leave, just bless at least two persons. Bless at least two persons. Pronounce the blessing on at least two persons. God bless you. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven-Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.